Every once in a while, a product comes along that revolutionizes our life. So extraordinary, so relevant, so accessible, so personal. When you hold the object, you think, this is substantial, this is revolutionary. It's simple, intuitive. Introducing the Bible. It's not just any book. It's not just a digital book. It's an actual book. There are no power cables. It has a charge that does not go away. Content comes preloaded, separated into 66 individual sections that makes up the entire collection. There are also thousands of applications that can improve your everyday interactions and literally change your life forever. The user experience is based on tactile response. Turning a page with an index finger is as simple as, well, turning a page. Right to left to move forward, left to right to move back. If you read something that stands out to you, you can simply bookmark it for later. These beautiful pages can also serve as an input device, allowing you to actually write on the display and save your inspired moments for future reference. In addition to the always reliable print edition of the Bible, it is also available in many other technology platforms. One of the greatest things about this technology is that it allows for a multi-user experience that can be enjoyed in a group setting. By simply opening the Bible and reading with your family and friends, everyone can share the experience because something this life-enhancing needs to be shared. We believe that the amazing life application that comes from using this device provides limitless possibilities for impacting your life, your home, your community, and your world. Start your experience today with the Bible. I'm so excited about this series that we're beginning together starting today, uh, looking for the next four weeks together at the Bible and talking about being people of God's Word. And the next uh, four weeks for us aren't so much about defending the Bible, although there's certainly a time and a place for that. The next four weeks aren't necessarily about how the Bible came into existence and, and telling the history of the Bible, although there's certainly a time and a place uh, for that as well. But for the, the next four weeks, we want to talk about being uh, the kind of people that begin to read the Bible and opening up God's word on a, a regular basis in our lives as individuals and as families and, and being the kind of people that begin to place on the rhythms of our everyday life, uh, being people that are devoted to God's word. And, and maybe for you, you're, you're not a Christian or you're skeptical of the Bible. Maybe uh, for you, you know, you hear Christians talk about the Bible and it just seems outdated or it's just sort of a collection of ancient myths and, and ancient stories. And uh, when we start talking about the Bible, you get kind of nervous because, uh, you know, for you in an iPhone, Google world, uh, it just seems like we've moved past that. But, but uh, even if you are skeptical about the Bible, uh, you have to admit for the last couple of thousand years or so, the Bible has had a really incredible run. 
the Bible has had a really Im- impressive run is the best-selling book. And I think for most of us, you know this, the, the, the best-selling book of all time, because the Bible from its very murky, sort of humble beginnings uh, several thousand years ago as it began to be assembled on the Eastern Mediterranean seaboard by a group of very obscure uh, tribal people on a little plot of land that's no bigger than the state of New Jersey. As this book began to, to come into existence, if you look at it just from a historical standpoint, the grip that this book has had on the human timeline and, and the human drama is absolutely incredible. Even if you're not a Christian, or you're skeptical of the Bible, you have to admit it's had a very, uh, a very impressive run. If you take the Bible out of the human drama of the last several thousand years, the world that we live in would be uh, totally different. The political landscape of the world, the, the geographical landscape of the world, America as we know it wouldn't even exist if you take the Bible out of the context of the last several thousand years. And the reason we believe that as disciples of Jesus is because we don't just believe the Bible is a book. We believe it's because the Bible is the book. It's not just a book like any book that you can go to a library and check out. And there's a lot of great books, a lot of bad books, but there's a lot of great books you can check out. It's not just a great book. We believe it is the book where the God who has created all things, the God who's spoken all things into existence, uh, has spoken a word. He's spoken a word to humanity about why we're here, about why we belong in the world, about why we matter. And when we read the Bible, we're not just reading a book, we're reading and devoting ourselves and placing at the center of our lives the book. Because there's a lot of great books in life that you can read. In fact, the moment you come into the world, people start reading books to you. When you, uh, if you find out you're, you're having a baby, people start giving you books. When both my sons were born, people started giving us books because books are a part of life. When you come into the world in preschool or as a little kid, people start giving you books. This was a book somebody gave to me when my first son, uh, Dane, was born. This is a Shel Silverstein book. Any Shel Silverstein fans here? Any Shel Silverstein folks? A couple. That's great. Shel's not doing too well in Texas, apparently. Um, <laughs> This is a book that uh, somebody gave me, and I've read this to my little boy, Dane, since uh, he was six months old. This is the ABCs book. It's in the form of a train. I got it the wrong way. Uh, this is, uh, and this is when I realized my son is the smartest kid in the world. When I started reading him, I know every parent says that, but for me, it's like for real. Because Dane, he, after reading this for a couple years, he can say the entire alphabet, and he's only two years old, which I think is impressive. Uh, Tough crowd, apparently. <laughs> Call me when he shoots a deer. Uh, that'll be impressive. You know, <laughs> come on, guys. This is great. He's two. He read the whole alphabet. Thank you so much. I'll let him know. Thank you. Finally, that was just the women applauding there. You guys, you guys don't care. He reads the whole alphabet, man. That's awesome. The alphabet, by the way, in our house only has about 13 letters right now, but <laughs> still counts. Uh, but we read books all the time, and these books are important. I'm not knocking it. You come into the world, and you start framing the world in terms of the books that people give you, the alphabet. You go off to first grade. People hand you more books. You go off to second grade. People give you more books. You go off to fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. You go through life. You get to high school at some point, and some of us are there right now, and you get more books, and you start learning about things like math, things that came into the world because sin and death did. You learn about (laughs) all kinds of stuff. And at some point in your high school experience, if you're anything like me, you discovered something called Cliff Notes. Remember Cliff Notes? Some fan of Cliff Notes? 
Uh, <laughs> these were great. I don't know who Cliff is or why he read so much. But I was so grateful. Was like, Jared, have you read Hamlet? Oh, yeah. I got a, a bit of an idea of what Hamlet's about. These are great. Now, if you're in high school, you got spark notes. Those are a whole new thing, man. The kids, they're doing crazy stuff now with spark notes. But they got spark notes. Some of you spark notes people, you were in the spark notes generation. But you go through life and you just keep getting handed more books. And you get tested over this information. You go off to college maybe at some point. You go to grad school and you got to find a place in your tiny dorm room or your tiny apartment or your house and you got to start reading more books and the older you get the books get thicker the books get more expensive the titles on them get longer and longer but your whole life people just keep handing you books get your first job here's the books you need to know here's the here's the employee handbook you just keep getting books and the books just keep piling up and piling up and piling up. And all of these are great and fantastic. I'm not knocking all these books. We need these books. It's a great thing if you read a lot and you devote yourself to, to learning and to the learning experience. I'm not knocking that at all. But my question is, how much time in our life do we devote to knowing and reading and studying all these books? compared to how much time in our lives do we spend reading the book? And how much time in our life do we carve out and make sacred space for the words of God, the word that God said, this is what you need to get through this place called planet Earth. As a creator of all things, this is my word that I've spoken for you and I've spoken to you and I've spoken into the human drama to let you know why you're here and to let you know why you belong in the world and to let you know why you matter. Most people alive in the world have no clue why they are on planet Earth. And when you begin to open up this word, the words of God, he begins to illuminate and he begins to guide us in this life. And, and my question today and the question of the next four weeks is how much time do we spend with thee Book. I know we read a lot of books, but how much time in our life do we carve out to reading the book? There's a lot of great metaphors that people tell you about the Bible. People say all kinds of things. And I grew up in a church where people said, you know, the Bible is the owner's manual to life, or the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth, or the Bible is this. I never thought the, the you know, metaphors that I got were that helpful. I don't ever remember reading the owner's manual to anything in my entire life. But it, it's sort of one of the things we say about the Bible, but the Bible itself gives metaphors and pictures for how we are to think about it. And one of the scriptures gives this picture in the Psalms, Psalm chapter 119, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, you can follow along on the screens. But the psalmist says this about God's word. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, he says, your word, this is David speaking, he says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and it is a light on my path. In our relationship in a modern world, our relationship to light is much different than David's relationship would be to light when he wrote these words 3,000 years ago. Because we live in a world, when we think about light, we think about light in terms of variety. We think about 40-watt bulbs. We think about 80-watt light bulbs. We think about floodlights. We think about flashlights. We think about headlights. We think about Vegas. We think about a variety of type 
types of lights. We have all kinds of lights in our world. Very seldom in the modern world, in a a post-Einstein world, is darkness ever inconvenient in any way. If you find yourself in a dark room, you can pretty quickly, usually in, in the world we live in, locate a switch or find a flashlight. It's very seldom that darkness is inconvenient in our world in any way. But in the world that David lived in, when it got dark 3,000 years ago, it was dark. When the sun went down, you better have had all your work done for the day because you weren't getting anything done when the sun went down. You have a little bit of moonlight peering into the house. But in David's world, when it got dark, it was just dark. There was no street light peered in through the window. At David's, at the time that David writes this, there is not even candle technology yet. They have not invented wax, so it's not like he's walking around a house that's just illuminated with light. When David talks about light in, in this world 3,000 years ago, This is what he would be referring to. This is an ancient oil lamp uh, that uh, you can buy when you walk through the city streets of, of Jerusalem or in Israel. This is just a tiny little oil lamp. But this is what David is referring to. And it would burn off olive oil that you would place in, in inside of it, and it would burn for several hours. But this isn't going to light up the whole house, is it? It's just going to give off a little bit of light. It's not going to light up everything, but it is going to light up something. And if you're David, when you write this, you are so dependent on this light. You can't do it. You can't eat your food unless you have this light. You can't cook something. You can't prepare something. You can't get around the house unless you have this light next to you. So when David says, your word is like a light to my path, it is a lamp, this is a declaration of dependence. He's essentially declaring, God, I am so dependent on your words. I am so dependent on the truth that you've given me in the written form. I'm so dependent on it. Without it, this world is like a dark room where I can't even see my hand in front of my face. For David, this is a declaration of dependence. God, I need your words. How often for us would we describe our relationship to God's word as we are so dependent on it, we crave it. Without it, we're lost. Without it, we might as well be just stumbling and fumbling in the darkness. I think we all at some moment have a recognition that this world is a dark place. How often do we go to the words of God to be our light, to guide us in a very dark world? David is saying, God, I need your words. Without it, I don't know where I'm going. If you're in a dark room 3,000 years ago and this is all you have, it's not going to light up everything, is it? It's not going to light up the whole house. It's not even going to light 10 feet in front of you. It's just going to light enough for you to take a step at a time. It's not going to light the next 10 steps. It's just going to give you enough light that you know how to take the next step and you know where you're going. In the same way, God's word is not a light that reveals all things to us. God's word does not reveal everything inside the mind of God. But it does reveal enough. It does reveal enough light for us in this world to begin to walk in a dark world. It doesn't reveal everything, but God has spoken and he has revealed something. He doesn't reveal to you when you're going to die in his word. But he does reveal to us in his word that death doesn't have the last word over us. 
He doesn't reveal when Jesus is going to return to this earth. But he does reveal to us in his word that Jesus is going to return to this earth and he is going to restore and renew all things. He doesn't reveal to us why the bad things that have happened to you in your life have happened to you. It's not in there. You can look. It doesn't explain why that happened. But it does explain and it does tell you that all things are made beautiful in their time. All things ultimately get redeemed. It doesn't reveal everything, but it is a light that is giving us enough of a light to begin to take steps and to move forward in a dark world. God's word, it doesn't reveal all things, but it is revealing something to us. Our minds could not possibly hold and fathom all the things that are inside the mind of God. When you think about the mind of God, all the things that God has created, all the things that God has spoken into existence, this is the God that spoke energy into existence. This is the God that invented time. Think about that for a second. Our minds get blown. Just at, there, at one moment, there was no time. Some, at some point, there, there's not going to be any more time. Time will just be a brief invention in the history of time. My head hurts. <laughs> this God has spoken all things. He's made rivers. He's made logs. He's made frogs. He's made dogs. He's made, he's made all things. He's spoken a creation into existence. This is the God. We, we could not begin to fathom all the things that are inside the mind of God. Even at the height of our technology in an iPhone and Google world, even at the height of our ability in our technology to innovate, or at the height of our ingenuity to create things in our, in our modern technological world, we still, if you take the greatest inventions of our day, whether it's the Hubble telescope, whether it's uh, the ability to, uh, to, to create energy or, or with a switch or to create light or to, to turn a light switch and make a room light up, whatever the greatest inventions of our day are, the George Foreman grill, the uh, Spanx, whatever it is. <laughs> Even at the heights of our technology, we could not begin, with all of our mind and manpower pressed together, we could not begin to create even the most entry-level things in the creation of God. The worm, like the entry-level job in the creation of God. Even at the height of our technology, we could not create a worm. Our minds cannot handle all the things that God knows. We could not possibly understand or comprehend. And so God doesn't reveal all things to us, does he? but he does reveal some things to us in his word. He has given us a light to guide us that doesn't act like a floodlight that lights up everything, but it is lighting up enough for us to begin to walk in this world and to know why we're here. In Deuteronomy, Moses says it this way to the people of God in verse 29 of chapter 29. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. He hasn't revealed all things, but he has revealed something. Our minds could not begin to handle all that God knows, but he has given us something, the sacred words of God, what we need to know while we're here in this world. My little boy, Dane, the smartest kid in the universe, he is obsessed with airplanes right now. He's on an airplane kick 
all day, every day, he loves and talks about airplanes. And we live really close to an airport, a tiny little airport. And all day, airplanes, two-seaters, four-seaters, six-seater planes, little Cessnas come and land at this airport. And he stands in the yard, and he gets so excited. Airplane, airplane, another airplane. He's just ecstatic when he sees an airplane. And so uh, a couple months ago, I decided as I was getting on a plane, uh, I had Dane next to me, and I was going to take him in the cockpit of this plane. And as I take him into the cockpit, with the pilot's permission, might I add, I take him into the cockpit, and I'm thinking, here's a picture of it. I'm not quite sure why he's not wearing a shirt, but (laughs) just one of those days. uh, (laughs) But as I take him into the cockpit, uh, I'm thinking he's going to be ecstatic. Here we are in the cockpit with a pilot of a 747. And he's just staring at me with this blank stare. He has no idea what he's looking at. There's all these gauges. And he's, I'm going, buddy, it's an airplane. It's an airplane. And he's looking at me like, this is, who cares? <laughs> His mind could not handle the scope of a 747. It's too big. It's too much. In the same way, God has not revealed how the entire 747 of this place called planet Earth works. But he has given us enough light. He has given us enough answers to guide us and to lead us in this world. Brass tacks, when you boil it down, how do you begin to interact with the word of God? How do you begin to open up the words of God and begin to allow this to speak into you and speak over you? How do you allow these divine words of God begin to grip your heart when, when my wife and I uh, sit down and read the Bible, when I sit down with my boys and we read the Bible? How, how is it that we interact with these words and how do we treat them as if they're different than any other book? One of the things, and this isn't an exclusive list, but this is a list for me as we go through the Bible as a family, as I go through the Bible as an individual that I always keep in mind. One of the things is that the Bible is an authority. Different than a Harry Potter book, different than any book that you would read. The Bible is this authority because it's been given to us by the creator of all things. The one that made me, the one that formed me, the one that formed the world, the one who's teaching me and speaking to me about how to be human. This is his word. It's an authority. I treat the Bible in a world where we're always skeptical of authority. I read the Bible as if it's an authority over my life. And as the people of God, we read this as authority. In practical ways, it's authority over our behavior. The reason I spend my money the way that I do is because the Bible says uh, specific instructions about being generous. The reason why I, I committed myself to marriage is because the Bible gives this picture of monogamy. The Bible gives these pictures. The Bible gives instruction. It's an authority over our lives. The reason I forgive people is because the scriptures say this is the best way for you to be human. Forgive others as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. The reason I I, I reach and try to be hospitable to people, this is all because it's an authority over my life. And I read the Bible, me and my boys and my wife, we sit down, we read the Bible because it is an authority over us. It's an authority. We treat this as an authority over our life. At another level, the Bible isn't just an authority. We read the Bible because it's authorizing. I think often when we talk about authority, it sounds like the Bible is just some sort of closed, static, has nothing fresh or new to say to us in a modern world. But when I open up the Bible, I find it to be authorizing for today, for the people of God in this world, in the here and now. 
that it's not just a closed story about them. It's speaking a word for right now and it's authorizing me to be a part of the people of God, to know who I am as the loved son and as the loved daughters of God in the here and now. It, it authorizes me to pray prayers like the psalmist prayed, to be in this dynamic, meaningful relationship with God where I find myself often like the psalmist praying heart-open prayers where I go, God, I don't understand, I'm frustrated. It's, it's, it's allowing me, it's authorizing me to question and to go, God, I don't get it. I don't know why this is happening. The Bible invites me, the Bible's authorizing me into that kind of relationship with the God who made all things. It's authorizing us to be people that take risks, to step out on faith and to fear not. The most repeated phrase in this book about being a person that's not gripped by fear, but a person that's gripped by faith in God and trusting the God that sustains all things, even when it doesn't feel like it is still sustaining you. It's authorizing. It's an authority over my life, but it's authorizing in the here and in the now. When I read the Bible, the Bible is an invitation. It's an invitation. I read it as an invitation. Not just to believe some things and not just as an invitation to arrange the spiritual furniture in my brain a certain way. Although it does invite us to believe certain truths about who God is and about who Jesus is. But at at another level, it's inviting me to not just believe something, but to do something. When James is talking about the word of God in his book, James says it this way, don't just be hearers of the word, but rather be doers of the word. Don't just listen, but, but be people that do the word of God and take seriously the commands to put these habits into practice and in being people of the word. And what that means is that when the light shines, when the light of the word of God begins to illuminate a path about being a person of forgiveness or being a person of generosity or person of hospitality or whatever it is, that you wouldn't just see the light shine and go, oh, wow, that's nice, there's a path there, but you'd actually begin to step on the path that the Bible's illuminating. Reading the Bible is scary because it actually requires something of you. It actually requires something of your life. If you're content just the way things are and you don't want to change at all, I do not recommend reading the Bible because you will find yourself being invited into a different kind of life. The Bible invites us. It's like when you walk into the bathroom after waking up in the morning and you turn the lights on in the bathroom and you see that monster called you staring back at you. And your hair is everywhere, at least for me. And there's a zit on your forehead, which is strange because you're in your 30s. And you don't just stare in the mirror and go, oh, wow, that's a pretty sweet look. I'm going to rock that today. No, no, you change something when you see it. You begin to make changes based on what you see in the mirror. In the same way, the Bible is a mirror inviting us to make changes and to be a different kind of person. Empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. It's inviting us down a path. As well, the Bible is eavesdropping. When I open up the words of God, I recognize that I am eavesdropping on an ancient conversation. For some of us, this is where the tripwire has been. This is where the word of God has been fuzzy and unclear, maybe where you checked out at some point, because it it seems that you're reading stories about people and times and places and a culture where you go, this doesn't make any sense. 
the Bible, it wasn't just dropped out of the sky. It, it was written by people, inspired by God in their culture. It was written by people at, at times of peace, at times of war. It was written over longer than a thousand year period, assembled over a fairly wide geographical terrain. And it, it wasn't just dropped out of the sky. It's written mostly through these people in the nation of Israel. And Israel literally means to wrestle with God to struggle with God, and, and often they're talking about their struggles and their culture, and we're eavesdropping on their conversation. And often we think about the Bible in our world in the 21st century as some information we are supposed to believe so that one day we can go up, but when you begin to open up the Bible, you begin to realize this is a story about a God who keeps coming down. And he keeps entering into the human timeline. And he keeps crashing into the human drama. As many times as Israel drops the ball, he keeps entering in. Ultimately, by sending his son to a cross, he keeps rolling up his sleeves and getting involved down here. And we're eavesdropping on the conversation that Israel, the people of God, keep having with their God. And we're eavesdropping when we read the Bible. And what we discover is that their story is our story. Their frustrations with God are our frustrations with God. Their celebrations, their victories are our celebrations and our victories. And that their story somehow is informing our story and how we walk and how we live in the world now. We're eavesdropping on this ancient conversation that took place between God and his people. And so when you begin to boil it down even more, what we're really going for as a church over the next few weeks is that we would be the, the kind of people that begin to read and eavesdrop and are invited into reading the words of God on a regular basis and a part of the rhythm of our life. And so what we're launching, we're gonna give one of these out as you walk out of the building today. We're gonna give away these packets and we'd ask that you take one of these per family. And someone's gonna hand these to you and what it's called is the Word 511 Campaign. And here's the goal of the Word 511 campaign, that you would find yourself at some point over this upcoming week, you would find yourself getting alone five times a week as an individual reading the Word of God. That five times this week, you would begin to take seriously that this is the, 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 the light that God has given you to get through a dark world. And you would take seriously, I'm, I'm gonna begin to, to read this. I'm gonna begin to prioritize the words of God in my life as an individual. And you carve out some space and you get alone, find a place. It doesn't matter if it's in the morning, it doesn't matter if it's in the afternoon, it doesn't matter what time of day it is, it doesn't matter if it's 30 minutes or 15, whatever. Just say, I'm gonna get alone and pick a plan and we have resources in here for how to pick a plan whether it's one chapter of the Bible a day, whatever it is, and say, I'm gonna begin to read the words of God. And there's no formula to it, but it's just a way. And what will begin to happen over this year if you commit yourself to this as an individual is absolutely incredible. Some of us in this room, you could tell the story of a moment when you began to prioritize this and it changed everything. And you would say, yep, it is a light. It is a light. It's a mirror that's changed how I look, how I act, who I am five times a week as an individual, one time a week with your spouse, if you're married, that you would get alone with your spouse one time a week. And if you're not married, find a, a friend, find a roommate, find somebody that you do life with and say, hey, one time a week, let's meet 
15 minutes before school. Let's meet 20 minutes after work. Let's just meet and talk about the word of God for a little bit. My wife and I, we started doing this this week and we just sit down and we go through the book of Proverbs and we're just reading one time a week. We just carve out space, whether it's after the kids go to bed or whether it's on a date night, whatever it is, and say, okay, we're gonna read the, the word of God and we're gonna allow this sacred word of God to begin to inform our steps as a husband and wife because this is light and we crave it, we need it in terms of how to raise our kids, in terms of how to live in the world, choices that we make, risks that we take. We need the words of God to guide us as wisdom because without it, we're in a dark room. Once a week with your spouse, you prioritize reading the word of God. Once a week with your kids, as a mom, as a dad, that you carve out space once a week just to sit down with your sons or daughters. And if you don't have kids, find, uh, maybe it's your little brother, maybe it's a little sister, maybe it's uh, uh, somebody that you know at church. So just find somebody younger. The, the scriptures say the one generation should commend the works of God to the next generation. And you sit down and you carve out space and say, I want my kids, I'm gonna impart this to them. I want to once a week just find time in addition to the five times a week that I'm reading the Bible by myself and, and pick a different Bible to read with your kids. You know, when I get with my kids, I'm, not, I'm reading a different Bible than I read when I sit by myself. I'm not reading a pop-up Bible during my quiet time. One time I did, but it was strange. But, but find a different Bible and begin to prioritize. I wanna begin to teach my, my sons, my daughters, what it means to be people of the light, walking in the word of God. And as dads especially, I think we have this tendency, I know I do, to want to delegate this. Say that's the church's responsibility. That's my wife's responsibility. But as dads, it's true, we want our kids to grow up and be filled with a sense of wonder for the God that made all things. And here's the deal, you can't give away what you don't have. And if you begin to allow yourself five times a week being filled with the words of God, the light of God, one of the things you'll begin to notice as an overflow of that is that you'll wanna begin to talk about it. You'll wanna begin to prioritize that time with your son and daughter. And what will begin to happen is that you're not just imparting to your sons and daughters how to be successful in this world, but you are imparting to them how to be filled with wonder for the word of God in this world. One time a week to say, and it's not the church's job, it's not my wife's job as a dad. I just wanna be the one that prioritizes this. What would it look like in your house? What would it take as an individual to carve out 15 minutes, 20 minutes, five times a week and say, I'm gonna prioritize? In a year, two years, 10 years, imagine the story you could tell of what happened in your life because you took serious that this is light. The words of God are light. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is our guide. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on a cross for our sins, but God, I'm grateful that somebody was there to write it down and that we have a record of your interaction in the human timeline. I thank you for that, God. Such a gift that you've given to humanity and you haven't revealed all things, but you have revealed something and I pray we would take it serious to read it and prioritize it in our life. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.